Listeners, I know that you sometimes feel like your home is bursting with the boundless energy of your boys. Mine has been for a very long time. We want to tell you about Home Threads, where style meets the wild adventures of raising boys. At HomeThreads.com, you can find a collection of uh, furniture and home accessories designed to meet the needs of your growing boy family. They have everything from durable bunk beds to upscale gaming tables. You can turn your home into an attractive, durable playground, believe it or not. Uh, Janet and I both love their baking dishes. Solid, beautiful, functional. Anything you need for your home, you can likely find on homethreads.com, and we have a discount code for you. Go to homethreads.com slash onboys. You can get a code for 15% off your first order, because every leap, laugh, and loud moment deserves a space that embraces the chaos with style. Home Threads, love where you live. Is your child a disconnector? Are you a connector? We are talking about social emotional learning with our guest today. Stay tuned. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast, and we are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Thank you for being here, and thank you, too, for supporting our sponsors. Social Emotional Learning, or SEL. If you have a school-aged child, you've probably heard of it. Understanding and expressing a full range of emotions is a natural part of being a healthy human. Yet, as a busy parent or teacher, what's the best way to teach your child these skills? And, you know, because all parenting begins with us. Are we actually modeling healthy communication and a healthy expression of emotions for our kiddos? Jen and I talk all the time about how important it is to build and keep a connection with our children and sharing how one feels is an important part of that. And although we want to stay connected to them, we often find ourselves in a place of disconnection. It's complex. That's why we wanted to have a conversation with the author of a new book, Fostering Connection, Building Social and Emotional Health in Children and Teens. She is a child psychologist and a school psychologist. Welcome, Dr. Tish Taylor. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So great to have you here. Um, I'm always curious when someone writes a book, like what was the impulse? What were you seeing that caused you to say, there's a gap here. I'm going to fill that gap and do it differently. That That's exactly what it was. I saw a gap. One day it just all came. Love that. So I started to write it down and, you know, and then it took time to develop and I had to have help because if you have the book, there are visuals in the book. So I had to have some help. You can't see it, but there are beautiful illustrations in here. And it reminded me, Tish, you know, almost like a Yu-Gi-Oh card game, a Pokemon card game, kind of an idea. So I had to have an artist help. She did do a wonderful job. 
she understood what I was trying to get at. So working with children and teens, I could see certain behaviors and, and dare I say clinical profiles, if I could just say that, you know, we all have certain traits or types or things that we bring to the table. And when I would see these certain behaviors, you know, there were efficacy-based research things that I would implement, but I just felt like there was something missing. And that was, how do I teach the skill? Because I think there are some skills missing. Mm-hmm. And, and when I was trying to communicate it with children, they weren't quite understanding it. And so that's why I tried to simplify it, make it a little more concrete, especially with, um, with the pictures. And I named them and called them something. And then had, had like a counter. I thought, well, I can't call the things we're trying to improve or sometimes correct and not have the counter. Like mm-hmm. then yeah, what do what, we do about it? Yeah. What skill do we want to see that had to be brought to life and illustrated and described too, so that the kiddos know this is all part of your, who is showing up system. So we'll talk about that, but you've got, it's broken down into connectors and disconnectors. So I'm guessing in your practice, some of the behaviors are the disconnecting behaviors and you are wanting to teach the skill of connection. So that comparison, that contrast can be really helpful for all of us to look at. That's exactly right. So talk about this system that you've created, who is showing up. And I, what I loved most, of course, it always starts with us as the, as the adult, as the parents, how are we showing up and kind of stepping out and maybe observing our own interaction with our child and seeing, oh, is this connecting behavior or disconnecting behavior? Yes. And that is an important piece to bring out. And I, and I did highlight that because, you know, children immediately model, you know, we don't have to think about it. We just model it. Even in my own mind, it is so easy to do some of those things that are disconnecting and not even recognize it right away and not even recognize it unless I really stop and think about it. Especially because so many of us had that modeled to us. We don't even realize that that's why we're doing maybe what we're doing. Can you give us an example, Tish? Like, you know, what's uh, maybe a disconnector in a way that you know you have a tendency sometimes in other parts of your life to show up that way? My tone. You know, do I say it short or curt or hurry up? And the tone itself, if it's not friendly and if it's a little bit scolding, or maybe it is scolding, you know, that's kind of disconnecting. And, and, you know, the child responds in kind. Yes. I think we've all done that. And I've, I'm a family coach. So I hear from parents a lot of, you know, it's his tone or it's his attitude. And we think, Ooh, but what about us? How are we showing up in that tone? And I think our boys, I'm just going to broad generalization are especially sensitive to tone. You know, we might come into the room and we're still dealing with something about work or with our partner. And we bring that into the room with our interaction with our child. So taking that moment to stop and recognize how am I showing up right now? We lead busy lives. It's busy with our children. It's busy with our families. It's, and if you work outside of the home, it's busy with inside of the home and it's busy. If you work outside of the home, I'll just say for myself, I can feel frenzied (laughs) trying to manage it all. And so it's easy just to spout things out and, and not think much about it. Well, what I love about your book is that it is so visual. 
you've got charts, you've got, I'm looking right now, disconnecting variations in adults, and you've got the style there. I can look at that and go, oh my gosh, that feels like me. Am I accusatory? Am I, and you give the actual examples of, ooh, this might sound a little accusatory, like, oh, I knew you would mess this up. We don't even recognize that that might be our pattern of communication. So seeing it laid out so clearly like you have it, it's just like, oh, ouch, that is, <laughs> oof, that's how I'm showing up. Okay. And then you go a few pages and then it's like, oh, here's the connecting way to interact. Yes. And yes. when actually, when I see it modeled, I see so many families and when I see parents who do it well, you know, I can see it in my office. I'm like, oh, you know, what a great model. I really appreciate it when I see it. And and I know everybody is trying, trying their best. Mm-hmm. I feel like we need to make the point that yes, even after you read this book, and even after you have a degree in psychology, and this is your <laughs> life's work, you're not going to show up the way you'd like to all the time. Because we are busy. We are stressed. We are human. So listeners, you know, don't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm a failure because I'm accusatory because I get this tone. It's normal. Tish, how do you help people deal with that? Parents for themselves and sometimes kids can get stuck in, well, if I'm doing this wrong, it must mean I'm a terrible person and there's no hope for me. So why even try? Well, with parents, I say we, I use the pronoun we a lot. Because if we could say we're a large group all in it together, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we do this as as humans, as parents. We're not perfect. We keep trying. And so I I generally approach it that way. And with children, if they come to the place where I'm just bad, we say, oh, goodness, no. Well, you know, this behavior, we can work on this behavior. But as a person, your worth and your value as a person no, that, that does not change. Mm -hmm. That is, you know, you have great value as a person. So in this book, you've got characters for these different aspects of social emotional health. Tell us about the connectors. What are some of the ways of connecting? And these, as Jen said, they are kind of like Pokemon cards. I love the illustrations. If you go to my website, tishtaylor.com, they're like in a PDF file. Love it. And Perfect. So you, can, you could see it even if you don't have the book. So go, go to tishtaylor.com listeners. You can easily remember that and you'll get the PDF file there of these characters that you've created. So, so break it down for us, connectors. And I'm assuming these are kind of patterns that you've seen in your practice and your experience that people connect, tend to connect in this certain way. What I would say is you can see all of these patterns or behaviors in any one. Mm-hmm. Where I see them a lot are with children with ADHD and especially oppositional defiant disorder. I see them a lot there. Mm-hmm. In those situations, there's often more challenges with the, the, the parent-child dynamic because there's more challenges with behavioral regulation and lots of times emotional regulation. And so that just puts more of a strain on the situation. But the connectors you will see just, and just real quickly, I will add, there's a different color scheme for the connectors versus the disconnectors. So they're very quickly identifiable. Ah. So it's very quick to, to spot the difference. The connectors, what I try and enhance is one, am I understanding myself? 
Mm-hmm. So for example, feelings mind is, do I understand how I feel about the situation? What I'm thinking about the situation, because those are different, how I'm acting in the situation, as well as, am I having any body sensations that are telling me my reaction or feeling to the situation? There's also connectors that are trying to look at some social intelligence. For example, feelings investigator is about in the situation, how might other people feel? How Mm. might they react? What is the expectation of the situation? And then Ah. I also asked, so how are you, how did you show up in the situation? I like that feelings investigator. That's such a kid-friendly term, right? I mean, there's a reason why we're into investigative shows and shows like this is old, but where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Like kids <laughs> like to figure things out. Feelings investigator is a way to help people develop empathy, but it's a lot more engaging to a child to say, let's investigate feelings. There is an empathy component to the characters too, right? Cause shoes is, you know, can I put myself in your shoes and understand how you would feel? There's a cognitive component with two-way street. Can I understand that you might think differently than me? I feel like there's a lot of adults who struggle with that one right now, Tish. We can. Mm. We can struggle with that. Yes. Yeah. But we can't connect if we can't come to a place to understand you think differently than me. And I can try and respect that. And I can Mm -hmm. try and understand it. Quick pause here for a message from our sponsors. When we come back, find out what connector character is Tish's favorite. I hear from parents all the time how bath time can be such an ordeal. And yet bath time can be really fun. In fact, here in the very cold winter, we use bath time as an activity. Dabble and Dollop has got this dialed in because they have bath products that are not only natural, healthy, free of toxins, all the things we want for our kids, but they're fun. Jen, you said when your boys were young, they loved to make potions. My son, Tyler, had so much fun mixing things together, making potions, recipes. He would have loved Dabble and Dollop's Day at the Beach bath mixing set because it's a collection of soap scents and a little mixing thing and your kids can combine scents and make their own creations. It is exactly the kind of thing that can turn bath time into a fun, enjoyable, creative endeavor instead of just a fight. And I will say the bubbles have been bow tested in the bathtub and they last. They stay bubbles for a long time. Dabble and Dollop has everything from bath time shampoos, bubble baths, body washes, conditioners, lotions, bath bombs, bath toys and accessories. There's so many things to explore at Dabble and Dollop. Go to dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys to get 20% off your first order. That's dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys, 20% off for being an onboys listener. But I would have to say my favorite one is Captain Courageous. And I call it Courageous because as I've worked with children, I think it takes courage. It takes courage to show up and say, I'm sorry. Or it takes courage to say, this was my part. And, you know, I'm going to try and do it differently. And it takes courage to say, you know, I want to be friends. You know, I want this relationship more than holding on to the conflict or the argument or 
how I felt wronged or how mm. you felt wronged. That takes courage, I think. Captain Courageous is my favorite, and you can bring Captain Courageous in at different scenarios and situations, but it does get to the value. Do you value the relationship or do you value friendships or you know how you're getting along with people? And it brings in that value, I think. Can you give us an example, perhaps? You know, this book is it, it can help children and teens. So let's say you're having a conversation and helping, you know, an eight-year-old understand Captain Courageous and and how you might use that framing in say a you know a, a playground situation versus helping a 15-year-old understand how to apply and show up as Captain Courageous. So an eight-year-old, it might be, you know, if they did something on the playground that hurt somebody's feelings or they stole somebody's friend away or were bossy on the playground or, you know, somehow got aggressive on the playground to just simply come back and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's kind of a, a beginning step or, you know, a developmentally appropriate step. Mm-hmm. And then I, I do try and coach kids to say, we don't know how somebody else is going to respond to that. Good mm-hmm. point. And so I try and prep them for that. Like they might say, okay, I'm sorry too, or start to play with you immediately, or they may not. But we talk about why it might be important to still apologize. What if the child doesn't want to apologize? I know parents run into this all the time. Well, I'm not sorry. I don't want to say I'm sorry. Well, then I come back. Then I come back to what's important right? Mm -hmm. In therapy, I can work more on values. Mm -hmm. And even with younger children, I will come to that if they say that's not it, you know, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I'll say, well, let's talk about, you know, having friends. Is that important to you? Are people liking you in your class? Is that important to you? It's not hard to get to ways that that is important to them. And so then I try and help them understand that the way we act on the playground or the way we act toward other children, even if they say they're not my friend and I don't like them, it's still mm-hmm. important to be respectful because actually you can bring out respect too. Mm-hmm. respect and kindness are values. And we can bring that out too. But I will tell you, there's a 2.0 version of the book coming out pretty soon where I do have more um, worksheet kind of pages that helps parents or educators get to some of those questions. Mm, nice. That, that yeah. I'm, I'm using. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be a little addition to it that will help you know, really break down those skills and situations, get to those important questions. So what about that 15-year-old? How do you approach that? <laughs> so the 15-year-old, it's similar, You re- really, because if you come back to to what's important, let me just use something social media or text-wise. Yeah. You know, and, and if somebody, you know, if, if you say something that is offensive or hurtful and, you know, you get reaction to that, you know, how do you come back from that and try and mend it, mm-hmm. mend the situation? And, you know, the other thing I tell, you know, when they're old enough, like teens, you know, it doesn't make in the, in the long run, it doesn't make you feel any better either. Right. You might feel better in the short term, but you do not feel better in the long term. And I'll let them talk about it and we'll talk about it. I don't just shove it down their throats. Mm-hmm. But essentially that does not work, especially <laughs> with a 15 year old, right? Tish? <laughs> right. It does not, it does not, but we talk about it and you know, I'm not in therapy. I'm not their mom. Mm-hmm. So it's a little, that easier. helps. Uh-huh. It's a laser, but in terms of, but I can always come back to your own emotional health, your own 
well-being. You know, I wouldn't want that for you because it's not in your, well, you know, your best interest. And my concern is, is what's in your best interest and how you're managing these things with other people too. So that's usually how I come about it. Okay. So the other side of the coin, disconnecting behaviors. What do you see as, as typical disconnects? I mean, I think every parent can, can probably label their, their child, but again, it's hard to see, maybe see that for ourselves, what we are doing to disconnect. So let me talk about children first. So if you have a child who, a range of personalities, right? If you have a child who is more spunky, (laughs) you know, spunky, willing to say no, willing to sash you back. Mm-hmm. A spicy um, one. A spicy one. We're, Janet and I are both thinking the same thing. We interviewed uh, Mary Geffen about spicy ones, and we are familiar with the concept. Different certain developmental stages that bring about more spice, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Or when a child doesn't take responsibility, they deflect, right? Mm-hmm. Say, you did it. Not my yeah. fault. It was their fault. They'd love to blame their siblings. You know, the teacher didn't tell me that. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway, you're deflecting responsibility, and that gets frustrating. Another disconnector is what I call gruntmeister, but that is recognizing when you show up, you're showing up more irritable or agitated. Mm-hmm. And so that one comes up. I love the name of that one, especially because we all have those encounters with our children. And frankly, we all have days like that. You know, the gruntmeister moments, like it does not matter who says what, it is met with irritability, it is met with grumble, 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 grumble. like. Can do no right. Alexander's horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. (laughs) Right, right. And well, I will say sometimes I use it because some kids will get down on themselves. Yeah. And you can use it that way too, because sometimes they'll internalize it and say, I'm so stupid. We can understand it that way too. That's helpful. So uh, as you say that, I'm thinking, I'm always thinking of the parents that I work with and where in this disconnect would fall the... I hate you. You're the worst mom in the world. Oh, that would be fighter. Okay. What do we do about that? What <laughs> what does fighter look like, first of all? The wounding so words. I see that. Wounding words. Yeah. So fighter is just, fighter is that character that, you know, I, I come bringing conflict, right? So I'm going to argue with what you say. I'm willing to go into, I don't know if I say battle, but a fight. Right. Mm-hmm. And it could be verbally it could, and in some cases physically. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I call fighter. And those are challenging. Certain situations can become more intense than others. It depends on, you know, how hostile it becomes. That fighter one, I think, is a very common one that parents encounter as their sons move through adolescence. Right. Yeah. There is that developmentally appropriate inclination to push back. Yes. And then there's that experimentation of how far can I push? Yes. And it's coupled, I think, with, you know, in our society, anger and aggression is seen as generally more acceptable for boys than sadness. So I think a lot of boys present that way, even when maybe that's not the root thing. And when you mentioned, you know, it can become physical. There are mothers, especially who get afraid of the physicality and outburst of their boys, especially as their boys are becoming bigger and stronger than they are. 
Right. Agreed. But that would be fighter. So what are some techniques maybe that we can share with parents to help engage productively with a fighter? I have a feeling putting on your own boxing gloves is not the solution here. No, especially as they're getting older. So I think the first thing is to continue to maintain expectations and values in the home. Mm-hmm. Right. So respect, respect is a, is a value that, and, and when parents respond or make a correction or a consequence coming back to what the value is rather than that's our rule or I said so it's like but we value respect respect for you respect for me respect for our family respect for our home I can hear a fighter 14 year old going you might value respect I don't value respect and so coming back when heads are cooler (laughs) that's yeah big A big suggestion and recommendation is let's talk about this when we have cool heads. And it's usually not in that moment. So Mm -hmm. having some kind of exit plan or cool off strategy, um, I usually like to say, if you're able to say, well, we will talk about this after dinner or, you know, kind of set a time frame to do that. If it's hostile enough, having an exit strategy for people to cool off. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like you are physically not safe, having an exit strategy to maintain your safety, the rest of your family's safety is crucial and completely sure. appropriate. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. So you had the two-way street in the connector category. Yes. Guess what? There's a one-way street. What does that look like? So one-way street looks like I'm right. I can't understand how you would see it that way, or I'm not even willing to hear how you see it. It's my way. I can see this is a place where sometimes parents might land, might find themselves, is that, you know, we're doing it my way. This is how it is, rather than that collaboration of Mm. the two-way street. And as Jen said at the beginning, so much of this is how we were parented. We're going back to, I mean, I think my dad was kind of a one-way street. So, you know, it's hard to learn to be a two-way street when you've got a parent who is a one-way street. So in parts of those parenting, I mean, there are decisions we need we need and have to make for our children, especially depending on their age or the circumstance, you know, and their level of understanding. I might say, this is how we're going to have to do it, but here's why. Can I tell you why? So trying to build that understanding within them. Mm-hmm. And then almost always as a parent, I think, it almost always comes back to what's in your best interest in terms of your physical health and safety your emotional and mental health and safety and, you know, your growth and development. Mm-hmm. I mean, it almost always comes back to those things. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. why we make those decisions as parents. Mm-hmm. Part of this one-way street is that in, inflexibility, inflexibility yes. in thinking. And so kind of make the bridge then to ADHD or ODD, these places where our kids typically have even more inflexible thinking. More on inflexible thinking after these messages from our sponsors. I hear from parents all the time how bath time can be such an ordeal. And yet bath time can be really fun. In fact, here in the very cold winter, we use bath time as an activity. Dabble and Dollop has got this dialed in because they have bath products that are not only natural, healthy, free of toxins, all the things we want for our kids, 
but they're fun. Jen, you said when your boys were young, they loved to make potions. My son, Tyler, had so much fun mixing things together, making potions, recipes. He would have loved Dabble and Dollop's Day at the Beach bath mixing set because it's a collection of soap scents and a little mixing thing and your kids can combine scents and make their own creations. It is exactly the kind of thing that can turn bath time into a fun, enjoyable creative endeavor instead of just a fight. And I will say the bubbles have been bow tested in the bathtub and they last. They stay bubbles for a long time. Dabble and Dollop has everything from bath time shampoos, bubble baths, body washes, conditioners, lotions, bath bombs, bath toys and accessories. There's so many things to explore at Dabble and Dollop. Go to dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys to get 20% off your first order. That's dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys, 20% off for being an onboys listener. You know, there's a continuum when it comes Mm -hmm. to ADHD and there's severity levels, but inflexibility is a common one In, in ADHD and oppositional defiant disorder also with autism spectrum disorders, but that is a skill. That is one of the things that, you know, would come up and I'm like trying to teach it. And so this is one way to help teach it, right? There's another way to think about it. You know, they have a different life, a different experience. So they're going to think about it differently than you do. And that's okay. It reminds me of um, when we spoke to Ryan, ADHD dude, Janet, and how he works with boys who have ADHD to help them understand social situations too. He will encourage boys to reflect on, you know, their behavior and their actions and um, how that may be giving other people cringy thoughts about them. So encouraging them to try and take the perspective of others and It takes a lot of practice. It takes practice even for those of us who are adults, frankly. Yes. But I'll also think, you know, when I'm working with children and teens, I'm also projecting ahead. And so I'm thinking for them to have a satisfying adult relationship, they need these skills. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to start where they're at. But I think these are important skills now Mm -hmm. into the future. And, And if they're old enough, I will tell them that. Mm -hmm. And I love in your book that you give examples of specific situations, because I know as parents, it's like, ah, this is so much information and I don't know how to apply it exactly in my life and exactly with my kid. And I think that a lot of places that these connector, disconnector behaviors can show up is around screen time. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Screen time. Yes, it can. One of the most obvious ways is, while children will say, but I am hanging out with my friends, you know, if they're gaming or doing something, I am hanging out with my friends. Yes, it's not the same emotional connection through a screen or through some kind of, you know, microphone Mm -hmm. as it is when you're in person with them. It's not the same. And And the skill development is not the same because we learn to read each other you know, faces, body language, tone, and we learn to respond to each other. And that is a much deeper connection than we develop over a video game. Which is often a reason why boys like connecting that way, because it that takes out that deeper work that's hard. 
for many boys typically. And so, yeah, it's easier when I don't see your face or, um, you know, we're focused on the game, not on each other, that connection of one-to-one and, uh, I got to make eye contact. Oh no, that's harder. So our boys can resist doing that. And I think you're absolutely right. Like we've got to get them outside with other people and, it's definitely a skill. And I think even for myself, I can tell after the pandemic, it's like, what you want me to go out into a party situation or a crowd? It's a little bit harder than it used to be. Right. And I think with boys, you know, there's this camaraderie that happens when they're together and they have a male way of joking around and teasing each other in a way that's a little different than females. And, Mm -hmm. and you miss that if you're just on a screen, you know, playing Fortnite or something. Janet, it makes me feel kind of sad because we're talking about, it's not the same emotional connection over a screen. And I haven't seen you in any way, but a screen since pre pandemic. I know. I know. Well, we're adults and it's a little easier to connect on a screen because we do have this, um, uh, our listeners, have probably heard us say we talk twice a week, pretty much every week for six years. We've done that. And we've only <laughs> met in person once, once. But, but we have that connection. And I think part of it is we have the drive to connect. We have that desire to connect. So that's easier. But for our, you know, seven, eight, nine year olds, they don't mm-hmm. see what the importance is in their life and in their social, emotional skill development. What about the boy who is like, will not get off his screens, like mm -mm, not stopping. You can't make me. This is what I'm doing. Well, I think then as a parent, you have to make a decision, you know, will I make it available or not available if it comes to that where Mm -hmm. where it's detrimental Mm -hmm. and, you know, if it's an addiction, yeah, because I think what you're talking about, Janet, is something that sounds more addictive Then will you make it available to them. Mm -hmm. And you have to be ready for their reaction, always thinking about what's in their best interest. And as the parent, I need to to manage that or help them manage that if they're not. And it's hard. It's hard. It can be hard. Yeah. What would your um, thoughts or advice be, Tish? You know, for somebody, they know what they're doing is not necessarily working that well. They want to build their skills as a parent, help their child develop these social emotional skills they decide to get your book. What would your advice be for how to approach that and start implementing some of this and applying it in their life? Well, I would say first, just kind of ingest the concepts. And, and it's not rocket science. I don't feel like it's rocket science. So you can do it. You know, you can start small. Pick one thing. Let's just say there's one thing that's more challenging. Pick that thing. If you want to call it what I call it, or bring it out like I do, great. If not, if you have another way to kind of highlight it or emphasize it or model the pro-social skill, then do that. But I think just becoming more aware, ingesting the concept, and then figuring out, okay, how do I translate that in my life and in my family? So a big piece of what I try to do in this book is help parents and adults find ways to communicate these things that were a little more vague. So use my communication if you want, but if you want to alter it, great, whatever works. At least start somewhere where it's like, if this thing could get better, this piece of our relationship could get better. If this reactionary pattern could get better, that would make a difference. 
So start there. So I'm thinking of a specific example. I would love for you just to play this out. So 12-year-old boy comes upstairs every morning and he is the grump meister. He's got it so dialed in every single day. He comes upstairs grumpy. I don't want to go to school. You can't make me. Worst mom in the world. I hate you. It affects the entire family. And it's so hard not to be drawn into that grumpmeister huddle, I'll call it. So where does a parent start? I mean, yeah, you're grumpy every morning, but how do you begin to turn that around with him if he doesn't want to change? He's like, I'm fine. This is how I am. But it's affecting the entire family. I think at 12, he does have to be somewhat on board. I mean, because you can model and you can ask and you can correct, Mm -hmm. but if he doesn't want to and sees no utility, you've got to start back there at the motivation place, at the place of motivation and self-awareness. Maybe I don't know how self-aware he is. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's, if he recognizes it and he just says, I don't care. Or if he's not very aware, I'm not sure. But I think you have to start back there with motivation. And that's why you may need professional help in that situation. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or if you feel like, you know, you or another parent or somebody else can have a more serious conversation and, and break that down about what is going on. And then I don't know if there's anything else, you know, psychological going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there might be something hindering his ability to be a little more or less grumpy, less yeah. grumpy. Right. So have some self-reflection of that. And that would be putting himself into other people's shoes, I can imagine, which is typically kind of hard for many, many boys to do, to see that other perspective. And that's part of the learning. And we might have to walk them through that step by step. I obviously uh, don't know the specifics of the situation, and I'm not sure if this is a real situation or a made up situation, but... uh just based on my personal experience of living with and raising four boys and dealing with mornings. Listeners, you've heard me say this before. There's nothing like raising children to teach you how much you can't control. (laughs) My advice is always like focus on what you can control first. You are going to have far more luck dealing with a couple other variables than trying to change your Grumpmeister's morning attitude first. So my first thing I would do I put on, I'd put on music in the morning that I enjoy. And maybe if there's music that I know everybody enjoys because music affects mood. Music can be contagious. I would also um, minimize the amount of time that I am spending in Grumpmeister's orbit in the morning. I might take my coffee out to the porch or the patio because I can't afford to get that drawn down that early in the morning. And if I'm exposed to it, I'm just going to spiral too. So you can be grumpy while you eat your cereal or don't eat your cereal. Can't make you eat either. Up to you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do my thing over here. That's where I would start for some of it. Obviously, you have to do all of it eventually. Right, Tish? Right. So what you're talking about is I'm going to remove all attention. Mm Mm-hmm. If my reaction reinforces you and that behavior, I'm going to remove that too. Mm -hmm. So so you're left to kind of adjust. And self-care too. I mean, we have to recognize that our children's moods and actions affect us. And sometimes it is completely okay and appropriate to do what you need to do to stay as centered as possible in those moments versus getting wrapped up in their emotional orbit. 
totally agree. And I would add that that's not good for them either. Getting wrapped up in that emotional orbit is not healthy for them either. And it just translates into, I don't want to go to school. You know, she's kind of like dragging him. This is a real situation, Jen, telling him that's not an option. You have to go to school, but that resistance. And then, you know, interestingly enough, when she picks him up from school at the end of the day, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. And exhausting. Are you kidding me? Really? Yeah, it's exhausting. And Jen, as you said, like being drawn into that orbit can affect your entire day. Right? Because you drop him off at school and he probably gets better a whole lot quicker than you do. (laughs) At least that's my tendency. I know my tendency as a parent is I am often thinking about whatever emotional upset there has been with the kids far longer than they are. Agreed. Right. We stew on it. We're in that um, wake, if you will. Yes. No longer. I'm having a hard time getting my work done and they are on to like the 14th thing after that. So I've learned, am still learning. I am still learning to manage my own emotional responses to my children's emotions. Step out of it. What haven't we talked about? What haven't we touched on that would be maybe a message of hope for our parents? Well, I would say it's not uncommon for parents to say to me, so is this going to be lifelong, you know, or how long is this going to last? Or, you know, kind of like, do I need to brace myself? I say, oh my gosh, there's always hope. It can, it will, it can always get better. We're just trying to find the tools to help make that happen or the supports to help make that happen. Or in some cases we need kind of a multifaceted Mm -hmm. approach to help make that happen. But of course it can get better. I like the term growing through. They're growing through this stage or, you know, even as parents, we're growing through this uh, 12-year-old, this 14-year-old. And and as you say in your book, you know, really focusing on those connecting behaviors. You can't not connect when you're in that place. And it might be, you know, one little tiny droplet of success this day, but that connection builds as we go. And that is so much about the awareness of what we're doing and how we're showing up. And you have laid this out so clearly in your book. Tell our listeners how they can connect with you, where they can find out more. Probably the easiest way is my website, which is tishtaylor.com. There's various resources and aspects of my practice there. You can also access the book there, which is on Amazon. Whenever you are in those, am I going to get through this? Is this going to last forever? And we all have those moments in parenting and in life. I recommend two things. Number one, gear up. And that may mean getting different tools. It may mean getting a book like this, going to Tish's website, gear up and grab support. Mm -hmm. Support can be friends who get it, colleagues who get it. And it can be literally like grabbing onto the concrete pylon, something that's going to help you stay steady as you navigate this. Gear up, grab support. You can get through this. Others have done it before you. People will make it through after you. You and your son will be okay. Thanks for being with us, Tish. Of course. Thank you for having me. As Jen said, gear up. We can't do this alone, and this book will help you discern connection behaviors and disconnecting behaviors. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. 
Thanks for being here. If this has been valuable for you, please share it with a friend. And thank you too for supporting our sponsors. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.